listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. (laughs) I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. uh, We are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! (laughs) It is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. (laughs) (laughs) We do a podcast? What the fuck? Hey, yo, fanholes! A fiery podcast with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty hi yo, fanholes! The Fanholes Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of Fanholes Podcast, the pop culture podcast for the fans by the fans. Tonight we have a very special episode for you. We're going to be participating in a roundtable discussion topic on old school golden age heroes. We're going to be talking about different golden age heroes, all kinds of, you know, pulp heroes and classic comic book heroes, but our discussion topic is something that's been raised by one of our fellow fan holes, Mr. Justin Barber. And what we're asking for our discussion topic is, are old Golden Age heroes relevant today? So that's going to be the first thing we're going to be talking about on the show. And then for the second half of the show, we're just going to have a little fun and give a shout-out to some of our favorite fan films. There's all kinds of different fan films, you know, they can be about comic books or science fiction or fantasy or horror or video games, all kinds of different wonderful fan films are out there, and we're just going to talk about some of our favorites, and hopefully those will all be, you know, online, and, you know, you can check those out yourself if you've never heard of them before. So we're just kind of sharing with our listeners, and hopefully, you know, they'll they'll get some joy out of, you know, some of our favorites. I am your host, Derek, Derek WC, and joining me tonight are my two fellow fan holes. Why don't you give a shout-out, guys? It's Mike Thunderwing. Justin Grimlock. So yeah, old Golden Age heroes. Are they relevant today? I think, young Diego, I am going to tell you a great secret. A secret? I love secrets, Grandpa. I know you do. But remember, you can share this secret. No Hi, Daddy! Grandpa's gonna tell me a secret! Oh, don't tell me you're filling the boy's head with more of your wild stories. There is no need to share this secret with your father, Diego. He won't believe you anyway. Somebody around here has to live in the real world. Justin, my man, why don't you go into some more detail and elaborate on exactly why this kind of discussion topic has been brewing, you know, at the front of your brain and, and why you wanted to discuss it with your fellow fan holes. All right. 
I guess as Derek would say, the impetus for this is I was on the Internet Movie Database reading like different news topics, and there was a little announcement that said David Yates, who directed some of the Harry Potter movies, was wanting to direct a new Tarzan film. And I use the Internet Movie Database forums all the time, and I was reading comments like what different people said, and uh, most of them were like, all right, a new Tarzan film, yay. Then this one guy had like this huge post, and he was like, you know… Basically, he was saying Hollywood should have learned its lesson from failures uh, such as like Green Hornet and you know recently the Lone Ranger. He was basically saying that uh, you know these quote unquote old, so old, like Derek himself, uh, old heroes are <laughs> no, they're, they're ancient. They're they're so practically old. decrepit. Yeah, that you like know. Terry, go get me my cane, old. You know. But uh, he was like, these old heroes are no longer relevant, and they're not going to make any money at the box office. And you know, the only people who basically care about them are, you know, guys like us. Which I kind of like. I kind of took issue with that, but I thought it was like, you know, an interesting thing to talk about because it seems like, you know, heroes like you know Tarzan, Lone Ranger, the Shadow, the Phantom, like whatever. You know, a lot of these Golden Age or pulp characters, they've have been very popular and relevant for like the last, you know, seventy five years or whatever. Like they've had, you know, movie serials, radio shows, T V shows, animated series, feature films, but like it seems like since maybe the late eighties when they we started to see like more kind of, you know, superhero films, like they've tried to make these films into like box office you know, success. Uh, you know, you had Dick Tracy, which was a disappointment. You had the Shadow film, which was not very good. The Phantom film that wasn't very good either. So it seems like you know they were trying, but they were you know getting things wrong. But then you you also have films like the two Zorro films with uh, Antonio Banderas. Like the first one was really great, made a lot of money. Second one not as good, but you know still enjoyable. You know, going back to like Green Hornet, and Lone Ranger. Like I, I think. The failure of those films has more to do with the writing and the interpretation of them than the character themselves. I mean, it's like, you know, me and Derek obviously like Green Hornet, but it's like, do we want to see slapstick, you know, buddy adventure film? Like, no, like that's that's not what the Green Hornet is. And I think that's why that film failed. And it's like the Lone Ranger. It's like, well, do I want to see like Silver like standing in a tree and acting weird and all this other like crazy nonsense that has nothing at all to do with the Lone Ranger. Like, no, that's, that has nothing to do with the core of the character. I guess you could say it's like, I think that's why those films fell. It's like, they didn't really have a grasp on the character. They were just like, okay, we have these properties. They have some recognition, mostly with, you know, older, older fans. So let's just like, let's write something and slap the name on it. And we'll put it out there, Larry. And all the Larrys were like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Love it. Um, you know, uh, Clayton Moore, who played the Lone Ranger in the, the 1950s TV show, was famous for uh, fighting the lawsuits because they wanted to ban him from wearing the Lone Ranger mask yeah, you know, when he was done. Yeah. So I was wondering, you know, a lot of people are talking about, you know, how great it must be to put the mask on. But I was wondering for you, you know, thinking about kind of that, that narcotic quality it has, what's the hardest part about taking it off? Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny. I haven't gotten a taste of that mask uh, fever yet you know it's like uh, I really enjoyed my time wearing it I really loved absolutely loved making this movie 
But man, when it's 125 degrees out and you're strapping <laughs> leather to your face, as soon as they call cut, you're like, can I take this thing off now, please? <laughs> please. Yeah, I, I think that is the case in, in a lot of these recent releases. And the other thing I was thinking, too, is I, I think the question of relevancy, like sometimes it gets confused with the issue of, of setting. You know, like it, mm-hmm. it seems like a lot of these these interpretations i mean it it can apply to even comic book characters or not you know but there seems to be this this movement of you know if they don't have a cell phone and a pager strapped to their ass or if they don't you know have you know i don't know flying cars or you know whatever your version of of modern is you know if if the spirit's not downloading like an mp3 on the internet (laughs) then he's irrelevant and it's like i don't i don't think that's the case like, I, I don't think you need to put, you know, and this, this example has nothing to do with pulp heroes, but I don't think you need to put rap music in The Great Gatsby to make it relevant, you know? But, but that's the kind of stuff that's going on where, you know, it, you, you've got these kind of conflicting genres or mashups or this, this infusion or influx of perceived superior modern tropes and 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 culture that that somehow makes its way into these you know essentially like in a lot of cases i think you know some of these golden age heroes would be better served as period pieces yeah. and then the reason why those don't go over too well in hollywood especially these days is because period pieces means you have to dress it you gotta get period costumes it's got to be accurate all that stuff costs money and you know larry doesn't want to hear it you know, larry's <laughs> like what i don't got the money for this you know not a, like not a like, lot of opportunity for product placement yeah i mean it's like what are you gonna you know how, how can you hawk that new iphone <laughs> You know, if if uh, you know the spirit is set in you know 1940s, you know Chicago or whatever, you know wherever he is, you know like that kind of thing. Uh, but I mean, th- th- as far as the question, like, are, is it relevant? Well, yeah. I mean, things there's certain things that are timeless that are always going to be relevant, whether you know it's you know questions of morality or questions of you know uh, you know good versus evil, you know questions of you know what you know, just relationships, you know, between men and women and romance and all this kind of stuff. I mean, somebody giving somebody a peck on the cheek because they, you know, did a good deed or whatever after they punched out the bad guy or something like that and, you know, saved some poor girl's chastity or whatever. Like, that's always going to be relevant. I mean, it doesn't matter if she's got an iPod or if she's got, you know, uh, a freaking... you know, I don't know, uh, uh, a makeup case with cigarettes in it or something, and she's like, hey, big boy, like, come and see me sometime. You know, like, it's not, you know, I don't know. Like, um, that, that's kind of my take on it. Like, two other things I, I read. There was also talk of making a new Zorro film, uh, not with Antonio Banderas, but it was going to be set either in current times or maybe, like, ten years from now. So, like, what you're saying about, like, Zorro pulling out his, like, his iPad or whatever, like, I just the thought of that, like, those two things, trying to fo- force those <laughs> together, it's like I'm going to force the square peg into the round hole. Like that, that doesn't. I, I don't get that. But like, as far as like period pieces, I did read that um, the guy who directed Iron Man three, I think his name is Shane Black. He wants to do a Doc Savage film, and he wants to set it in 1938. I was like, wow, well, that's that should be good. Like I thought Iron Man three was 
whatever it was, <laughs> kind of a mess. But the fact that he like wants to do that character and said it in that time, like I was like, let's. Well, that's pretty good. Like I would, you know, definitely be interested in that. Like I don't really have much interest in like, you know, Doc Savage, twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Like, you know, he's like I invented the iPad, like version five point Like, well, that's great, Doc. Like, are you gonna like catch any criminals, or you know, you just gonna like sit there and drink Dr Pepper or something? No, I'm too busy working on the next operating system of Savage Soft. <laughs> you know, like, got to release that for the new quarterly figures. What, what about you, Mike? I mean, you know, you've been kind of quiet. Like, what um, what do you think about, you know, kind of what we've been discussing? I mean, is are, are, are some of these films that we're talking about, obviously a lot of them were big bombs. And, you know, but I, I think there's some promising things like to, to me, like the, the good examples I can think of is, you know, the Rocketeer is something that, you know, I, I, I didn't think it was that great when I first saw it. But, you know, it's a period piece and it's kind of charming. And, and I think it's it's moderately successful. You know, at least it kind of has a cult following or what have you. You know, it's definitely not as awful as, say, like, you know, the recent Frank Miller spirit film or you know, the the recent Lone Ranger or anything like that. So I'm I'm kind of curious what your stance is on all this Golden Age pulpy stuff and, and as to its relevancy or or even, you know, the the attempt to try to modernize it, I guess. Yeah, I pretty much agree with Justin. I mean, and, and with you, like the Rocketeer, and I, I, I liked the first Zorro. I didn't get to see the second, but I liked the first, like, Antonio Banderas Zorro movie, and I think both of them, like, they tried to remain true to, you know, the actual, like, source material. I guess I would I would say this all, like, this, with the sentiment I'm about to express, I would also say to anyone who, like, says, oh, well, Superman's lame or whatever, or, like, a, Superman's boring or something, like, I don't think these characters are broken. I just think the world we live in now is not, like, like too it's too cynical and too like it's like it's not the cap the concept or the characters it's the i think like the people are broken basically like your your audience is broken almost well you know they all go to see michael bay's transformers so yeah it's like they must, they must be broken right I yeah mean. i mean and like they try to like i don't know like hollywood sometimes tries to like like try to reach that like cynical audience but they can't always do it like right like you know obviously like green hornet was a big like fucking disaster and lone ranger was a was obviously a bomb and stuff so clearly well, you know you know what you know what is unfortunate though it's like you know conceivably you know there's not really an argument about it like john carter was a bomb but that movie was good. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like, it was a good science fiction movie. It kind of fits directly into what we're talking about. This is kind of a pulp icon, a hero or whatever that not a lot of people had heard of, but it did have that name recognition to a degree among, you know, certain fans of the genre. And but but in the meantime, it's like, well, they spent enough money on it to make a good movie with reshoots and all kinds of other stuff, but, you know, it, it just couldn't make its money back. Like, you know, and, and it's like, whose fault is that? Like, I, I think it's like they'd rather have a piece of shit they can market than a good movie that they don't know how to market. Yeah, you know, it, I agree it, with the that, problem yeah. kind of like kind of like what you're saying about the audience is broken. I, I think the people who make these are broken. You know, yeah. it's like it, 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 you've got somebody who is operating from a defeatist 
standpoint. It's not that Superman is lame. It's not that the Lone Ranger is dated or old or irrelevant or anything like that. It's that the person who's working on the property and writing the script goes, I can make this better. I can fix this not broken property so that everybody will like it. You know, and it's just kind of like that. I, I don't know. It just it, it always seems to fall on its face a lot of the times. I mean, I don't know. Like I like we we're saying, there's examples where, you know, the end product is really good. But I mean, as far as the marketing and, and financial success for something like John Carter, well, that that didn't happen. But I mean, as far as it being a good film and, you know, things like you guys are talking about, like capturing the spirit of the source material or just, you know, being just you know, a regular fucking good movie, like not this kind of prepackaged marketed thing where, you know, they're more concerned about how the trailer looks than whether the movie's good or not. You know? Do you know? <coughs> you are a difficult man to find, Captain John Carter. As for John Carter, like, I agree. Like, I really, like, I don't know any, I didn't really know anything about, like, that property, but, like, I enjoyed that movie, and I was like, man, this didn't do well. Like, I was like, I was kind of like, this was a good movie, and I think it was just because they, every time I asked someone, like, what did you guys, like, why didn't you go see, like, John Carter? Like, what was it? And they were just kind of like, you know, they were like what the name basically it was like john what does that even mean you know like it's kind of like that's where like it it comes full stop for them it's just like you know it doesn't it's not that the marketing failed i guess basically well yeah that's the thing it's like you, you these days like everything's tight you have to have this prepackaged franchise or a remake of a remake or a remake of an old tv series basically if it's not a familiar name then it doesn't sell. And John Carter wasn't familiar enough. And they were too timid and scared because the other names they could have given it were Princess of Mars, but then they're like, oh, well, dudes aren't going to go see an action movie with the word princess in it. So they freaked out about that title. But then you say John Carter of Mars, and then it's like, well, the women aren't going to go watch something about Mars. You know? And it's like, well, then, then what do you name it? Then you name it John Carter, and then you've got Everyone, men, women, babies, children, and uh, fucking Martians, going. Well, what does that mean? I don't. I don't know who that is. Why should I care? You know. So they should have just called it "Leaping Naked Man on Alien Planet." <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely. I mean, that definitely fits into what we're talking about. I mean, you know, and th and then there's that that weird thing of trying to modernize like a lot of those characters. Like I was thinking about this because I. I, I was thinking about the spirit a lot. Like the the spirit film itself is pretty atrocious. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it's like I don't know. I don't know if you can blame that on modernization. But but I you, do you mean, know that you mean Frank Miller's the spirit. Yeah, Frank Miller's <laughs> the spirit. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll delineate that. But but I mean, there there was a TV movie of the spirit, and it wasn't like it was very good either. But because of budgetary reasons, it wasn't set in the forties. It was just kind of like one of those weird, I, I'd say almost like Flash-level TV series where it, it's kind of got 
a couple things that are period, but for the most part, people are walking around, talking on phones, you know, chewing modern gum, and you, you know what I mean? Like, where it's like, it's not like it's it's set anywhere than the time period in which it was released, and that didn't work too well either. And then, like, they, they tried to do a spirit comic at DC a couple times now, you know, like, before the New 52 was going on. It's like they had one right around the same time Frank Miller's The Spirit was released. And, like, they had some good name creators on it, and there were some good stories in it, you know, where it's like Darwin Cook's The Spirit, and, you know, and then that whole first wave thing came out, and there was, you know, a bunch of different creators on the title. They had some cool little backup stories in black and white, you know, with, like, famous pencilers, whether it's, like, Jose Garcia, Luis Lopez, or um, I'm trying to think of, like, other... There, you know, there were a bunch of, like, cool, you know, little backups in black and white where you're like, oh, they got this guy to do it? Like, sweet. Like, this is really cool, you know, to see their interpretation of, of the spirit in, like, a black and white strip or whatever. And some of the modern stories, like, I, I guess what they normally do with the spirit is they always try to do some clever way of spelling out the logo. You know, it could be like a cityscape that's spelt like the spirit, you know, where it's like the buildings spell his name, or, you know, it could be like a bunch of roses, you know, and it's like some, you know, hot girl lying in a bed of roses, and the spirit's name is spelt out on the sheets, or, you know, something to that effect. But all those things seem fairly timeless. I mean, yeah, we didn't always have skyscrapers and buildings, but, you know, it, relatively speaking, you know, it all seems fairly modern and timeless. But there was this one issue that I opened up where the spirit's name was spelt out on a table full of Coke, and all these guys are snorting up, mm -hmm. like, the I, the letter I, or whatever, or whatever they're snorting, you know? And it was just one of those things where, like, it was a comic book made in probably 2010 or 2011, you know? And I was just thinking, like, I don't know why, like, it's not like people don't snort coke today, okay? Like, so I'm not saying it's dated or irrelevant or anything like that, but it was just one of those things that felt out of place in a spirit comic book where I felt like it was, like, super, like, 1980s, like, where it's, like, you know, year one Batman with, like, the thug, like, snorting coke on the table and Batman breaking his legs or whatever, or, like, you know, Punisher going after guys that are, like, snorting coke or something like that. And I, I don't know what it was. It just kind of felt like the same way maybe you feel about, you know, like Zora with iPads, you know, like where you're like, what the, this just doesn't seem to gel quite right. And it was just this kind of like out of place feeling of like, there's no cocaine in a spirit book, you know? And I, I don't know if that, you know, works for or against this kind of discussion we're having, you know, if that, if that helps the, the, the counterpoint, the guy who wrote that all these films are outdated. I mean, I, I would say that the people who are working on them, you know, that, that come to it with that point of view, like that they're irrelevant. It's like, if you already think the property is irrelevant, that's going to be reflected in your work, no matter how hard you try to, I don't know, quote unquote, fix it. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think that's going to come across, you know? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, do you have any thoughts on that, Justin? Like, um, you know, I'll give you a good example of like updating that failed. So, and you may remember this one. About ten years ago, there was actually a Tarzan TV series on, you know, CW, WB, whatever oh, yeah, it was yeah. called. Well, that was was that the one with Casper Van Dien? No, that that was like a or that was something that was like a million years ago. Yeah, that was like a '90s movie with. Oh, okay. Um, but it 
it had um, the actress who played Lori on Walking Dead. She was Jane. But, okay. but the premise was it was like set in New York City, and Jane was like – like Jane worked for like a police department, and you know Tar- it was like Tarzan in the city, and Tarzan's like goal was he had to like reclaim, reclaim his like corporate empire that he inherited from like his evil uncle. So it had like – it was just Tarzan in name only. It had nothing to do with like, you know – and being raised in the jungle or like, you know, finding, you know, lost cities or, you know, you know, fighting dinosaurs or going to the Earth's core or anything. It was just like, you know, this name only thing. It's like we're going to slap, you know, the name Tarzan and Jane on these two characters. And they didn't even interact hardly at all. It was like it lasted maybe six episodes. And, you know, they got the canceled. So I'm like, you mean, well, you mean, uh, you mean like Jane wasn't like Tarzan? Get back in the house! <laughs> no, duh. I was just like, what? What was the point of like doing that? It has like nothing. It doesn't really resemble Tarzan at all. I mean, I know it's like a CW, you know, one of those shows where it's like going to be like all Smallville, and you're going to try and like get the ladies to watch it. But I'm like, at least Smallville resembles the comics and like has nods yeah, to the yeah. comics. And this, this was like, well, you know about Tarzan, don't you? Well, I've heard of him. You should watch our show. We've got like all kinds of kids like him, you know, making the sex and stuff. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> Why should I care about that? Now I'm just thinking of like Derek's like Lone Ranger like video on the CW on the, on the Lone Ranger pilot like where it's like Tarzan enters the scene every time with a jump kick or something. Wasn't wasn't the one where like he was like running around on like cityscape rooftops for like but I mean he, he's trying to reclaim his corporate empire but did he still go out at night and like try to like act like it was the jungle in New York or something like I don't yeah, yeah that's I it's weird what do you think about like something like the legend of Greystoke like I mean like is that an acceptable modernization for the time or like is that too outlandish for you like as well um you mean one with um you know with Highlander or whatever yeah right um I don't know. It was still set in like you know Victorian era, so I don't really see it as like a modernization. Like it, okay. it, it deviated somewhat from like the source material, but like of like the past thirty years, I think that's probably the best and my favorite Tarzan film. Not that there have been a lot. I mean, there's been different TV series and stuff like that. But like I, I look at that as like this is a good example of like what works versus like you know Casper Van Dien. Awful mess that came out. The other thing I think is interesting is is the more you try to modernize like some of these pulp or golden age concepts, it seems like you do get completely different characters. Like uh, you, you know, you may say like, "What's a modern version of the Lone Ranger?" And you know, people might laugh, but I'm like, "It's the Green Hornet," you know. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is the modern version of the Lone Ranger. Uh, you know, what's a modern version of the Green Hornet? I don't know. Like, Batman Beyond? Like, you know, Green Hornet? You know, Phantom 2020? Like, I don't, I don't know exactly. But, you, you know, that's that's kind of my, my thing is, like, there's, you know, you, you start going down the modernization road. It's like, okay, Larry, we're going to do Zorro. Okay, but we're not going to set it in, you know, California, you know, uh, at the, you know, 
I don't know, the, the, the dawn of, uh, the you know, the end of the 19th century or whatever. No, we're going to set it like today. It's like Zorro today? Okay, what's going on in California with Zorro today? Well, Larry, he's going to be an Occupy protest. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. And then, and then what's going to happen? Well, he's going to, like, lead all the people to revolt because, you know, uh, that's, that's what Zorro does. Okay, that sounds great, Larry. We'll get all the, the protesters in the, the, the seats, right? Like, that'll be great. And then, and then you're like, okay, well, then, then what do you do? Well, we give Zora an iPad, and he hawks iPads to protesters. Okay, <laughs> so that's good. Like, he'll be hip like that. But then he'll be, like, crazy. He'll be, like, you know, creating all kinds of chaos and anarchy on the streets, and he'll graffiti stuff and tag stuff. And he doesn't want to get caught by the cops, so he wears this, this crazy mask. It's like, is it going to be like a Zorro mask, Larry? No, it's going to be like, it's going to be like this weird, like, sculpted mask, and nobody's going to know who he is, because his face is going to be completely covered. Okay, Larry, and then, you know, the more you, you do it, then you're like, isn't this Alan Moore's V for Vendetta? And then you go, oh yeah, Larry, it is, but shh, let's not tell anybody, we're just going to slap Zorro on it, and we're going to give him an iPad but we're going to call it a Z-pad. And then when we call it a Z-pad, like, everyone will go out and, like, buy our Z-pad, you know? And then and then they feel all happy about themselves. But in the meantime, like, you've got this weird, funny thing that's not quite really Zorro, I guess. But, you know, I don't know. That sounds so awful. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. And if they do that, I'm going to blame you. Yeah, it's my <laughs> fault. You can send all the angry... Emails to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Mild mannered protester Bob Zorro. <laughs> like... Bob Zoreski. You know, it's like, what? Or it's like, like the Tarzan show. It's like, it's got to be like, like they, they'd have to do like one of those, like, those openings they do for like Arrow now, like it's like, hi, my name's Tarzan. Like, <laughs> I have to like reclaim my corporation, but to do it, I can't do this or whatever. Yeah, it's like to do, do it, this. I must do leave this. I can't. I can't throw feces with monkeys. I must leave the jungle behind. Yeah, yeah. I gotta stop hanging out with big gorillas. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Are you hurt? I'll survive. Was there any other, like, dynamite-type characters you wanted to refer to, since they seem to be having success <laughs> with a lot of these pulp and, and Golden Age characters? Like, of maybe modernizations you think work? Like, maybe Garth Ennis' Shadow or, or something like that? Or I know you're you're the biggest reader of those, you know, among us, so... Yeah. That's one of those things that's like... I, punk, I People can point to, and it's like, well... Only comic book fans care about these characters. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know, quite know how to respond to that. But those characters seem to be doing very well comic-wise. Like Dynamite has really had a big explosion of Golden Age and pulp heroes. Like, I mean, most of what, are the, what I read from Dynamite now is – that's what that is. I mean there just seems to be like so many new ones coming out like – every other month and they just recently got the rights to Doc Savage so I'm looking forward to that but like characters like uh, the Black Bat or Miss Fury or the Owl like those have all been kind of taken from their element from you know late 30s early 40s and been brought forward in time and I think those work really well especially the Owl like the Owl is kind of like uh, I don't know 
I guess you could com- compare him to Daredevil or uh, Batman, and he's kind of brought forward in time. And you know, from his era, he was in love with this girl, and in modern times, it's like this girl's granddaughter is fighting crime in like a you know super hyper realistic Kevlar suit, and she's all vicious and stuff. But the owl still has like his morality from the 30s, so he's like, whoa, you can't be like. You can't steal this money from these gangsters, and you can't steal their drugs and profit from that. You have to destroy it. She's like, "Well, you're crazy. Like, how are we supposed to like fight crime?" He's like, "Well, that's that's our moral code, you know. It's like we don't profit from the bad guys." And so they end up like getting into this big fight. And I thought that was very interesting. It's kind of like the, you know, I, I kind of call that the Captain America, like, "Hey, listen, Mister Approach." It's like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I like. I, I, like I was the, about to say, like Frank Frank Castle is like, you know hurling off in the corner in a garbage can at all the morality. But like I said, it's like people point to that kind of thing, and they're like, well, only comic book fans care about those characters in that way. And I'm like, well, if that's the case, why would a movie studio want to spend, like, millions of dollars on that if it's just, like, you know, a small slice of the public? Well, I think think people forget that, like, besides just being comic characters – like, a lot of these characters, like the Green Hornet and the Shadow, were, like, all on the radio for years. Like, people knew them because they were listening to them on the radio every day. I mean, now I guess people are going to say, well, yeah, that was in the 50s. But, I mean, there there was a whole generation of people then where if you said the Shadow, and only the Shadow knows, like, that was instantly recognizable because that's what was said on the radio every night. You know, so I, I think, you know, these days, I guess, you know, the, the recognizability factor just comes in the form of remakes because there's no new medium. It's not like we have hollow novels or, you know, the, the holodeck or, or what have you. It's like we didn't jump from radio to TV to film to the holodeck all of a sudden. Like we still have TV and film and it's just a bunch of regurgitated, you know, properties that are, you know, basically marketed to, you know, because they want to make money, and that's, you know, that, that is the end game, but, you know, it'd be nice if, if it was if it was a good product as well. Yeah. There was also, like, a Zorro game for the Nintendo Wii, and I haven't played it, but I just thought that was really interesting. I was like, here's a game for this quote-unquote old, so-old character, but it's like, does he have a TV show, animated series, movie, anything to support it? No, but he got this game anyway. And I was like, well, I didn't even know this thing existed until I saw it in stores. So I was like, well, who's this? Who is this game marketed to? It's like to little kids, to like, you know, older fans like us who know who the Zorro is, or Zorro. But I just can thought you, that, I just thought that was can like. You, can you do a Z motion with the 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 Wii Mote? I hope. Like, is that, I hope is that so. You do? That would only I, make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got to be marketed to somebody. It's marketed to those parents who don't know anything about, like, their kids' interests or video games, and they buy it for the kid's birthday, and they're like, Look, sweetums, it's a Zorro game! The and they're, like, then they're like, yeah. oh, man, I wanted the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Yeah, exactly. Instead. The kid's like, what the fuck is Zorro? <laughs> uh, so do we? I mean, is this is this a good place to to end off and move on to fan films, or is there is there any further last words that that uh, anybody wants to have on the topic of relevancy of Golden Age heroes? 
You're gonna break into the White House. Just another building, Clark. Two more guards, two more locks. I think I've said my piece. If I, okay. I feel like if if I keep talking, I'll end up. This will be like a two-hour-long Golden Age hero rant from yours truly. Nice. Well, I mean, obviously, we know you support the the idea of Golden Age heroes, you know, continuing on in in this age today, and and it seems like we all don't think they're irrelevant or old or pointless like that you know just because something is old doesn't mean that it it loses its relevancy and you can definitely infuse modern sensibilities into a period piece you know i mean it'd be nice if it would reflect the time it came from but that doesn't mean you can't have you know strong females and you know good action scenes or infuse you know great special effects and technology into, you know, period pieces. And it doesn't have to be golden age stuff. I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's films about, you know, old school casinos in Las Vegas. And, you know, I probably a bad example because it got canceled, but you know, there was like magic city, which was, you know, a period piece, you know, and it's like they use technology to, you know, talk about Cuba and the Bay of Pigs and, you know, mobsters and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it can apply to dramas and, in history, it's like, you know, just because John Adams is old and has crusty, funny teeth doesn't mean that he's irrelevant today. I mean, he's very relevant. So, yeah. you know, that I think that applies to, to all mediums. Or, or so. like, you know, characters like Dracula. I mean, look how long Dracula has been around, and there's all these different versions and incarnations of the character. It's like we were talking, you know, before the show, there's a TV show on NBC right now called Dracula, and it's set during Victorian area era i think that's that's really great there's some like weird like you know nikola tesla kind of technology going on at the same time it's a little steampunkish but it's like i'm kind of surprised it's like they went in that direction it's like if you think you know tarzan the lone ranger is no longer relevant because they're quote-unquote old well dracula is even older so we should like you know throw him in the woodpile and forget about him too yeah, if they can if they can make a show about Leonardo da Vinci and all his yeah. cool, super cool inventions, then then we can stand to have a decent Tarzan or Shadow or Spirit movie or, well, or even, whatever. Even like is. a character like James Bond, almost, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think I think it definitely goes all across the board. So yeah, that 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 is that is what the fan holes are thinking on the topic of. Are Golden Age or Pulp Heroes still relevant today? I, I think I think we think it's kind of resoundingly yes, it is. And everyone else that is looking at them as irrelevant, well, you know, they, they, that's part of the problem, I think. You're but, broken. You know, yeah, you're, you you're broken, sad broken. individuals who can't smile. you got to smile every once in a while and have fun. But we are going to move on to the next topic here. And this was just going to be a, a fun topic. We just wanted to talk and discuss about what some of our favorite fan films are. I mean, I guess, you know, since the, the dawn, the age of the Internet, there have been a plethora of fan films, various franchises and genres and all kinds of stuff. And we thought it'd be fun to discuss what some of our favorites are. As per usual, I'm going to open with Mike, because I bet he's got a bunch of honorable mentions, and if he mentions one of mine, then I don't have to talk about it too long. <laughs> so I'm going to start out with Mike. Thought, what are some of your, your favorite fan films, man? I thought you were going to, like, threaten me. Like, if he mentions one of mine, I'm going to fucking slice him or something. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make him irrelevant in the modern age. 
don't know. There's there's a bunch of them, and like obviously, like not necessarily like full length fan films, but like sometimes you know people just make kind of like proof of concepts, and you know just like five minute long things and stuff. And like we, we talked about what's his name, uh, Sandy Colera in a, in a previous uh, podcast. And, you know, he made that, what do you call that Batman dead end thingamajig with the, yes. the predator and the alien and stuff. Yep. So that's, that's probably one of the most famous ones. And uh, yeah, it's cool. And there's a bunch of, there's, there's a ton of like Batman, like fan films, like out there. Like, yeah, yeah, I like, I, I like that one, uh, Grayson, like where it's like Dick Grayson, like sort of. Yeah, kinda, yeah. I enjoy that. Yeah, yeah like that was, Bat- that was one of mine, actually. Okay, well, I won't talk about it that much then. No, but okay. I'll, I'll just say, like, that was one of the <laughs> no, first. No, I, I, I think, I think it's great too. I mean, yeah. we should all talk about Grayson like I thought it was I thought it was a fun little piece yeah. I, I kind of like how Superman I mean so, so I know some people I watch wondered about go, that <laughs> so some people watch that and, and wonder like you know like I, I, I remember showing that to a buddy of mine where I was like oh this is pretty cool right and then you know but I think I think when it gets towards the tail end of the trailer when like Wonder Woman and Green Lantern like pop up out of nowhere then he was kind of like hey this is kind of yeah. getting crazy <laughs> you know but to me I was just like I love all that stuff where it's like it starts out kind of low key and kind of realistic with like a corrupt police force and Batman's got a, you know, bronze statue and he, he may or may not be dead or whatever, you know, and Catwoman's looking kind of hot and all this stuff. But then all of a sudden you get into like Superman and Wonder Woman's lasso and Green Lantern's zapping people. And you're just kind of like, Whoa, like, yeah. you know, just kind of, well, kind of gets out of control, but it seems was, kind of fun to me. That was probably one of the first, like, maybe even like the first things I've ever, I ever saw on YouTube, basically like I, someone like, I remember they pimped it out like somewhere and I was like, Whoa, that was awesome. And like, at that time I kind of thought like the guy was actually like going to make the whole thing. And I was like, like, I was kind of like your friend. I was kind of like, Oh, is he going to fit all this into one movie? Like Superman, like Green Lantern, Wonder Woman. Like this doesn't, this is crazy. Like how could he even do this? I I was looking up this film before we started the show because that was something that I thought might come up. It actually says that there's like a full length screenplay somewhere that people can read. I've never read the screenplay, but it may be of interest to people who are listening that, you know, like to do that kind of thing. Easy boy. Stay out of this car! I will mention also something that we promoted on this podcast like long, long ago. I think it was one of like within our first twenty episodes or so. Brown Coats, the Firefly fan film. We actually had like the writer and director and the editor on like long, long ago. My good friend uh, Andrew Marnick, Michael Doherty. Like I, I actually bought that film like when it was done, and I really enjoyed it. It really like captured like the flavor of Firefly. Like it, it had a ton of like cameos from like actual actors who were on the show, like the in in the movie in Serenity and stuff. So like that had a really official like flair to it, kind of. Hi, I'm Laura Matthews. We haven't met before, but soon you'll know more about me and my crew. You see, some big damn heroes went and caused a mess of trouble by sending out this signal. Got the people of the verse all riled up. Now the Alliance is cracking down on every ship from Osiris to Boros, trying to find them, throwing the rest of us right in the thick of things. A group of browncoats can't stand to sit idly by and do nothing while the Alliance gets to bullying people about. 
and that fine group of brown coats is just itching to start a fight. As for me, me and my crew, we've kept our noses clean. Until now. I guess my favorite one, and it's like evidenced by my avatar, is called Street Fighter Legacy. And it's like a, it's sort of like a three or five, three to five minute, like sort of uh, proof of concept, sort of of like what what a live action Street Fighter like movie or series like should be, like not not like uh, how they've done it in the past, but how it could be like really awesome and like like it was clearly made by people who know the franchise and are huge fans and. It's just so great. It's just it's basically just a fight between Ryu and Ken, but it's just so cool. Like and like the gut like like that's the one where they're they're out in the like wilderness and the snow yeah, and stuff and yeah, they're and beating it's like the shit raining. out of each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That one is like I really like and just like tons of like little touches in that thing, like in those three minutes that I love, like just just the fact that like Ken and Ryu like sort of speak Japanese to each other and then they just switch to English. Because, you know, like, well, of course, they, like, they'd have to be, like, you know, like, in, in real in life. Yeah, yeah, so, and stuff like that is just really awesome. But, yeah, I, those guys are supposed to, like, I'm not sure, like, I keep looking up on the status of it, but um, those guys are supposed to be making, like, a live-action, like, Street Fighter, like, TV show. And I'm, I'm, I'm still uncertain on, like, the sort of, like, of, like officialness of it, because it's kind of like they, they made the announcement, like, you know, well, Capcom gave us the go, you know, we're doing this Street Fighter show. But then they, they were kind of like, you know, we got to use Kickstarter to get funding, and we got to, like, be, you know, we got to find funding and stuff. And I'm like, well, did Capcom, like, say, like, just give you permission to do, like, a show, or... Is Capcom like fully behind you or whatever? Like I, I was kind of like wondering. Well, if they have to do a Kickstarter, it sounds like Capcom isn't acting as a producer in no, any way. Yeah. They're not. They're not obviously giving them any money if they're asking for for yeah exactly. you know, Kickstarter but, donations. But, so it, it must be something that's you know uh, either look the other way or or at least they're not going to sue them for, yeah, for whatever exactly, they produce. I guess know? they announced it like. San Diego Comic Con this year that like filming has begun on it and stuff. So, like I I I have got to look more into it. But every time I look into it, it seems like it's kind of unclear as to what the status of it is. But maybe like this this is not a fan film per se, but maybe it could be done in the style of those Mortal Kombat shorts because they released those on the internet first. But I ended up watching the Blu-ray of all of them when they, you know, put all the different shorts together. But it was the sort of the prologue to the the, you know, current Mortal Kombat fighter game where you know you kind of had like a prologue with all these different characters, you know, and then kind of like their backstories, you know, kind of like like what you're describing with this proof of concept, like you know, a three-minute segment with Ryu and Ken. But then you know maybe they could go on to do another you know, three-minute segment with Dalsim or another three-minute segment with Chun-Li and Guile or, you know, whoever it is, you know, and then you put them all together and then, bam, you know, you've got a a DVD or a Blu-ray or something like that to to sell to the masses, you know, so. 
but you know, I hope something does come of that because, like I said, that that short really impressed me. And there's another one too. It's like a, a Street Fighter versus Tekken short, and I, I don't know if the same guys made it, but it it as well is very like well made and like cool and like there's no like costume shame or anything, and there's no like fucking around with stuff. It's just like straight up the video game like made like flesh basically, but. I think that's about it. There's something else that keeps, like, nagging at the edge of my mind, but I can't remember what it is. Well, maybe... Oh, oh, maybe I know I know what oh. it is. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you guys. Have you guys ever watched the Mega Man, like, full-length fan film? Like, it's live action, and it's, like, an hour and a half? No. Uh, it's kind of, like, it's kind of... Imp- like, it, I guess it's kind of a little cheesy and, like, fanish, but... It's really impressive, like, just the amount of, like, I don't know, work that went into it, I guess. Ken? It's been a long time. It's just, like... like Is, Is Haley Joel Mega Man? Uh... I don't think no, so. I'm, I'm trying to think of like who's Mega Man, like Vern Troyer. Like, I, I don't think so. No, it's just it's some Asian guy. Like, oh uh, okay. I don't, like it's obviously they don't try to like emulate the video game like specifically, okay. but like, sorry, I'm I'm just picturing somebody who's either young or short. You know, like so. <laughs> I was like, I, I went I went to Haley Joel and to, then I went to Vern. I, was like, I don't know how to respond to that, but um. <laughs> No, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like I don't know like maybe like a like cheesy like made for TV superhero movie that would be made like today maybe but I don't know kind of like the cape Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it it seems to have like that kind of budget. Like it, he fights like a CGI like cut man in it and stuff and like some some of the like robot masters are humans like playing a role and some of them are CGI and stuff and like, I don't know, it, it was pretty, like, I watched, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I watched, like, a 30-minute chunk of it, and I was like, yeah, this is pretty, like, I appreciated the work that went into it, basically. Yeah, uh, that's cool. Um, I haven't seen it, I'll probably check it out. But, yeah, that's about it. For me. If, any, if anything, it's piqued my curiosity. I want to see what the, the, the guy looks like as Mega Man. He looks like a Tron guy, basically. Okay. <laughs> Except not, like, all, like fluorescent and everything he looked they did you know they kind of make a little mega man costume for him is his role like super hot uh, uh, huh. <laughs> i don't know she's cute i guess okay hey we know roles in it i was just reaching at straws for all i knew the role <laughs> and, had nothing to do with rather it. rather hilariously uh dr wiley has like a german accent like he did in the old in the cartoon like I think we did a side cast on. Yeah, yeah. Oh my. As stated, downtown Fujiwara City is now on shutdown after falling under attack to six destructive machines. Few sources have stated the robots causing the mayhem are Dr. Thomas Light's Nobel Prize winning Robot Master DRN series. These machines were featured in an. No way is Dr. Light getting my coverage. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dr. Albert Riley. The brilliant scientist who no longer plays chicken fiddle to that damn Dr. Light. You see that? <laughs> <laughs>
I reprogrammed the buggers. Not so noble and peace-loving are they now. Cool. Well, what about you, Justin? You got any any fan films on tap that I know? I know uh, Mike stole one of yours with Grayson. Do you want to go into Grayson a little bit more, or is uh, have you said your piece on on the Grayson fan film? I I rewatched it, you know, in, for this podcast, and I was like, I forgot like how good and how good and crazy this is. But then when all the Superman stuff started happening, I was like, I wonder if this makes Derek grumpy because Superman's kind of like you know. Being all like you know, Dark Knight ish, it seems. But um, nah, whatever. I, <laughs> I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hold a grudge on that. As long as he looks cool, which he does most of the time. I mean, I I thought he was I- interesting because I think one of my, I mean, I was gonna put as as one of my favorite fan films was the Sandy Calera World's Finest short, and and that's kind of like the sequel to Batman Dead End, where Superman. And Batman team up, and I I really enjoy that. But I I would say I do think the actor who played Superman and Grayson was really cool too. Like I thought I thought he looked almost like um kind of like an Earth Two version of Superman. You know, he looks a little more older, but there there was something about him where you know he 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 didn't quite have the same muscle mass as the guy from the the world's finest one, but there was something about him, his presence, I thought was, was pretty decent for Superman, you know, and, and the Catwoman was pretty, pretty good looking, so. <laughs> I'd also like give uh, Batman Dead End an honorable mention, like, I think, you know, Mike mentioned, uh, like, one of the first things he watched on YouTube, and uh, I think that was, like, one of the first things I ever watched on YouTube, because, like, some guys came up to me and they're like, man, you got to watch this Batman thing. He fights like the Joker and Alien and Predator. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this sounds ridiculous. Like, is this a, like a cartoon somebody made? They're like, no, it's live action. I was like, is this a, some kind of trailer for a weird movie? Like, <laughs> I was I was real confused. But, uh, yeah, Batman did in like it. It was it was really good. But uh, I guess for like my main pick and maybe this kind of like sidesteps the the thing itself, but, like, my pick is Star Trek Phase 2, which is a fan series, not a fan film, so I don't know if that sidesteps the... No, 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 I was actually hoping you might bring it up, because I thought you might bring up more Star Trek-type stuff, so... Yeah, there there are tons of Star Trek fan projects out there. Some of them are very good, some of them not so good, um, but this is the one I like the best. This is the one that, like, you know, suits me. And I think I've talked about this on the show before because there's some weird stuff in it that doesn't quite flow with like the original series. Like they, you know, you have all the original characters from the original series, and they try to, you know, at least make the visual shots, you know, somewhat match. But then, yet like the first two, two or three episodes, I guess they were just excited with what they could do you know it's like oh we got a cgi enterprise let's like it you know let's make it do barrel rolls and like fly down through a planet <laughs> and go through the guardian of forever i'm just like what no but later on i guess they kind of reined themselves in and you know they got better i guess you know sense of like what to do but like they they've had you know george decay return as sulu walter coning came back to play check off and I think one of those – I think the Sulu episode was actually nominated for a Hugo, but it lost to Doctor Who. And they've had like writers from the original series like you know DC Fontana, David Gerard. Like they wrote scripts. 
who else? Mark Scott uh, Zersi, like he, I think he wrote for the '80s Twilight Zone. You know, they've had some good writers, and they've kind of repurposed old scripts, like from you know. Oh, like from the old Phase Two stuff. Yeah, the old Phase Two that was going to happen, and other scripts that were rejected from like Next Generation for whatever reason. But I, I really enjoyed this. It's really good. Like especially that that uh, episode. I think it's called World, World Enough in Time, where. Takei comes back as Sulu, but it's like an alternate Sulu where it's like basically Sulu was stranded on this planet for like 40 or 50 years, and he's kind of like a barbarian now. He's kind of regressed, and he has his daughter, and you know, weird shenanigans come about, and they kind of beam onto the Enterprise, and you know, Kirk being Kirk, he kind of hits on Sulu's daughter, and you know, barbarian Sulu kind of like goes crazy over that, but it, it's good. Like, I, I really enjoy the series. Although you no longer consciously retain the hyperspatial coordinates, your mind still retains the data. So, the famous Vulcan mind meld. I won't tell you this is without risk. But then what in life is? Shouldn't you send me candy and flowers first? I do not understand. No, I didn't think you would. That sounds pretty cool. You know, one thing that I, I've been looking for, because I watched it once and then I could never find it again, was have you ever seen the, the fan film they made where the old 60s Enterprise crew goes back in time and meets, like, the Adam West Batman? No. That there's, there's a fan, awesome, though. <laughs> there, there's a fan film of that, and, and I, I know I watched it at some point, but, you know, it was kind of before I was, you know, pretty tech savvy and I collected some of these and was, you know, saving them for posterity or, or what have you. But I, yeah, I, I don't know where I could find a copy of it now, but like it was, I think it was like three parts. So kind of like what you're talking about with like phase two, like it wasn't just a proof of concept. Like it was literally like, you know, almost like Batman, you know, it was probably like two 20 minute episodes or something like that. And I guess, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, I, I forget why the Enterprise gets like stranded in the past or whatever. And then they have to like get some kind of, you know, I don't know, fuel or something for the dilithium crystals. They have to, I, I forget what mineral they need or something, but they have to go to Gotham city. And like, you know, it's like, there's like so many, you know, I think, you know, Kirk probably hits on Catwoman or somebody, you know, like all kinds of crazy stuff happens where, you know, Batman and Kirk are in like getting in fist fights. And, you know, it, it was just one of those things where I just went, what? And then I just, you know, I had to watch it, you know, like it just sounded like so cool. And, you know, the, the production design, you know, is not, it, it's not superb or anything, but I mean, they, they made a really, really good, from what my, you know, from my memory, you know, they made a really good go at trying to emulate kind of the wackiness of the production design of the, the sixties show, you know, like they, they, they had a pretty good dressed set for, the Enterprise, although, you know, it wasn't, you know, perfect, you know, and then also in terms of, like, the Batman-type stuff, the kind of wacky, colorful sets and everything, they had those as well. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just kind of thought of this as you were talking about it. But, yeah, I remember enjoying that. It's just something that I, you know, nothing I was able to review for this podcast because I'm not sure where I could find a copy of that today. If anybody happens to know and is listening, then uh, shoot me an email at fanholspodcast@gmail.com. 
and I'll check it out again. But I, I thought it was pretty awesome. Was there any other honorable mentions besides Star Trek Phase 2 that you wanted to go into, Justin? Mm, I think that's it. Well, Batman, Robin, it has indeed been an honor to fight the good fight alongside the two of you. When we reach the Guardian planet, we will erase our accidental arrival in 1967, thereby thwarting Joker's annihilation of Earth. From one crime fighter to another, my good captain. It wasn't entirely unfortunate, I assure you. As for me, I guess I mentioned the big one, which was World's Finest. And I know we brought up Grayson, which I also thought was pretty cool. I wanted to kind of give a shout-out. I don't know if I necessarily saw these on YouTube. I think some of them I actually bought on ratty old VHS tapes, because I'm ancient, old, and irrelevant. <laughs> and and some of them I did watch on the Internet, too. But it was probably before there was a <gasps> YouTube. <gasps> this was like something like you down... I think you downloaded, like, QuickTime movies of it to watch. But I, I just, you know, there's probably a plethora of these, but this was back when I was heavily into Star Wars and thought it was still the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I just wanted to give a shout-out to some of the fan films that started off the whole crazy and maybe, in some people's opinion, terrible onslaught of, of Star Wars fan films. But uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to Troops, because Troops oh, is a, yeah. a film made by, by Kevin Rubio, and it basically was parodying the television show Cops, you know, the whole bad boys, you know, but it was, <laughs> you know, with, with uh, you know, desert sand troopers, you know, <laughs> kind of doing policing Tatooine, you know, and that kind of whole deal. You know, it was, it, was, it was very humorous, and it was one of the first fan films that really made use of the internet and technology and, and also kind of, you know, professional level costumes. I mean, these guys really looked like stormtroopers. It wasn't just a bunch of guys, you know, wearing like, I don't know, some mom and pop, you know, Halloween costume where it was a bunch of, you know, I don't know, white underoos that looked like a stormtrooper. Like it was actually, you know, sculpted armor and wetsuits and, you know, realistic looking props and that kind of stuff. The, the thing I always remember from that is like when they show what really happened to Aunt uh, Baru and Uncle <laughs> Owen where it was like a domestic dispute Yeah, like Aunt yeah, Baru yeah. takes like a thermal detonator and she's like waving yeah. it around and Uncle Owen tackles her and then they both blow up <laughs> and, then, and then like the guy, like the head stormtrooper is like, okay well we got to go find their uh, son, uh, Duke, and, like, tell him what happened to his <laughs> folks or whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it, it's, it's, it's a funny piece, and, and I thought it deserves a shout-out. And then the old school, well, that I think I bought, like, on a VHS tape at some point at some convention or whatever. But also uh, another thing that we used to download as, like, QuickTime movies and pass along to everybody there was a series of these films, you know, little short pieces, but the one I was going to give a shout-out to was Kung Fu Kenobi, because I think it was the first one. And that was kind of like, I, I guess a lot of the ways, like, you know, I guess Plug Plug, kind of like how Steeljaw would do his, his primetime stuff, you know? It was, I don't know if you guys seen this or not, but it's like a stop-motion type thing with old Kenner Star Wars figures. And basically, you know, it was called Kung Fu Kenobi, because it's like Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, without his lightsaber and little vinyl cape, but he would run around, you know, 
doing kung fu shit on people, and and he would use you know like audio clips of like Alec Guinness lines and kind of just do this mishmash story where it was like Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but Kung Fu Kenobi's Big Adventure. So you'd have Danny Elfman music and all these really nice sort of, I guess, toy sets that, that, you know, Kung Fu Kenobi was running around in. And, you know, there'd be all kinds of weird, you know, Pulp Fiction clips and and different things. It's kind of hard to describe other than it's just a wacky sort of zany fan film with, Star Wars toys. Yeah, I'm sure it's super easy to find on the internet if you want to check it out. But yeah, I just thought I'd give a shout out to those because those seem pretty, you know, I know I'm ancient and irrelevant and old, but they, these are definitely old school fan films that I just thought deserved a nod and mention as far as talking about, you know, great favorite fan films. Uh, whose droid is this? Uh-huh, it's your cousin's. Is this your cousin? Is this your cousin? Are you his cousin? No? Okay, then who are you? Ah, oh, you're his friend. Well, Mr. Friend, would you uh, step over there for a moment, please? Okay, so the uh, droid belongs to your cousin. Now, if I go over to that sand crawler over there and ask to see your cousin, is he going to have a bill of sale for this? I, I had another one I just thought of that I wanted to ask you guys about. Have you guys ever heard of, it's a Spider-Man fan film, uh, The Goblin's Last Stand, I think it's called? I think that's another one that I got, like, on a ratty old VHS tape or whatever, because I think that, I want to say that, like, came attached to something else I had bought. You know, like, maybe I bought, like, a VHS tape with some, like, old... Nicholas Hammond episodes, but then The Goblin's Last Stand was on it. You know, I, I know everybody sort of praises that for, you know, I think it, you know, deals with the death of Gwen Stacy, basically. Yeah, like those it basically ish- adapts those two issues. Yeah, yeah. so. I mean, the the production value is is poor. Yeah, it um, is. <laughs> but, but, but the, the, uh, the, I think, concept and, and the enthusiasm is, is high, which I, is probably I, why a lot of people still remember it. I think you know? the Green Goblin is more scary than, like, Willem Dafoe's Power Ranger <laughs> Goblin, too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's clearly, you know, it shows a great love for the, the source material, definitely. You know, whether the the production value, you know, isn't that great, but that's, you know, that's not really the filmmaker's fault, per se. talking about some of our favorite fan films. If you like any of the films we mentioned, you can go ahead and check those out. I'm sure now that we're in the wonderful age of YouTube, you know, it's as easy as typing in some of the titles we mentioned and hopefully coming across those films. And as far as the the people who make them, like, thank you for entertaining us. And and if you're still out there making stuff like Phase 2 or what have you, we appreciate it and wish you all the best. 
But now we're going to move on to our regularly scheduled segment that we like to do at the end of all Fan Holes episodes. I know we haven't done this in a while because we're doing the Transformers Universe podcast, but we're doing it now. We're going to do What's Awesome in Your World This Week. And so uh, I, I think I'm going to start real quick and just get mine out of the way. I have to thank our friend Danja over on the Bot Talk boards for this. This is our buddy Martin. He was kind enough to grab me a, what I guess among the fan community, they call uh, a Marvel Legends Red Pool and the Future Foundation Doctor Doom variant. That's him in the white cloak and an outfit from the Future Foundation Fantastic Four storyline. I guess a lot of these had been released in mass quantities over in the United Kingdom, and he was kind enough to offer to grab those two for me and, and mail them to me. So I'm greatly appreciative of that, and so I just wanted to say not only was it you know my awesome thing for this week, but just you know give a shout-out to, to Danja in case he's listening to this show. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. What about you, Justin? What's your awesome thing for this week? Well, I have two awesome things. Uh, the first one is, no shocker, it is a book. It's called Ike's Bluff by Evan Thomas. And this is a book kind of chronicling the presidency of our President Eisenhower. You guys know me. I love history, and I, I like reading about presidents. And Ike is one of those presidents I've never read up on extensively. And it was very interesting, you know, a, a lot of historians kind of say, you know, Ike was just kind of a do-nothing president. He was kind of like a, you know, happy grandfather figure for the nation during the Cold War, and he didn't really do much. But this book paints a very different picture. It shows he's kind of a strategist, I guess you could say. Like, he, he downplayed what he knew and what he didn't know his strengths like he he would always let on like he didn't know what was going on but he knew exactly what was going on and it kind of you know shows kind of the tug back and forth between you know the United States and you know the Soviet Union like what was going on you know all those you know high tensions during the cold war and it, it was very interesting i really enjoyed it the second thing is i recently bought the first season of one of my favorite TV shows, season one of Mr. Ed. Hello, I'm Mr. Ed. You guys have probably heard me talk about Mr. Ed before. It's one of my favorite, you know, 60s TV shows. I said, Wilbur yeah. is not irrelevant. Wilbur <laughs> is totally relevant. I sat down and I actually finished watching the first disc today, and there, uh, there was even commentary on the first episode from... Alan Young, who played Wilbur, and from Connie Hines, the actress who played his wife. So I thought that was really great that they they were able to come and give commentary for that first episode. Um, like I said, Mr. Ed's one of my favorite TV shows. If you haven't seen it, you should do so because it's, it's one of those shows that's like even if I'm in a bad mood or I've seen the episode a dozen times, like it can still make me laugh. It can still cheer me up. So I really love that TV show. I like Mr. Ed. Mr. Ed is cool. You know what else I saw, like, when I was running around the Best Buy was they, they seem to have these, like, complete series sets now of I Dream of Genie and Bewitched. I don't know if that was, like, for Halloween or something because, mm. you know, maybe Bewitched, you know, witches or something. But I was kind of surprised at how the, the, the value, you know, like, I was like, wow, this is, like, you know, eight seasons of what, you know, whatever it is for, like, you know, I don't know, 40 bucks or, you know, I was just kind of like, that's, that's a lot of TV for, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so... 
I just thought that's worth mentioning. What about you, Mike, man? What What is your awesome thing for the week? I've got two things. Uh, the first thing is a video game. I actually finished it a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure by the time this airs, it'll all be done, but I played the first episode of the Telltale like Fables game, A Wolf Among Us. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I know you played it too, Derek. And uh, yeah, it was it's it's really good. And if you like enjoyed that Walking Dead game, then you'll enjoy this game. It's more you know more about the story and stuff than actual like sort of gameplay. And like you know, it's point and click adventure, and you gotta like talk your way through like conversations, and you know you get different results based on you know who what you talk about. And of course, there's more, you know, what Derek likes to call the choices that aren't really choices and whatnot that are kind of... The fun. illusion of choice. Yeah. Well, for, for fans of the Fables comic, you know, you, they may be interested to know you're, you're playing as Bigby. So that, that is who, you know, you, you're seeing this game in the world through the eyes of. So, and, you know, it's... Like I said, it, it yeah, Mike said it's it's the also, same. I'd, I'd like to stress that you don't need to know anything about fables to like get into this game. Like they give you like you'll catch a, if you're you're an idiot. It, actually, it might it might it, it may even work to your advantage if if you don't. Yeah, know exactly. Okay. Like yeah, so. basically, you're like stupid if you can't catch on. Like get the concept of it within the first 15 minutes and even like every time you meet a new character they give you like a little like summary card of who that character is and like some of their backstory and stuff so i mean it's 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 not it's not like they hold your hand basically so you know it's not like you know you don't have to go you know i don't know anything about fable so i wouldn't be interested in this game so yeah but i don't know my my favorite like i i guess like like Derek, you always like to joke your like how the conversation always like ends up in the same direction no matter what choice you pick. But like my my favorite thing that's happened so far is like like Big B goes into a bar to talk to the woodsman like at the bar, right? So I decided to be nice to the guy because he was like drunk and he seemed like really sad. So like I was kind of being like j- like you know gentle with the guy. I was pressing him for information. You know, and he was kind of like, you know, drunk and he was kind of like telling me his sob story and stuff. And then suddenly, like, I get the op- one of the options, like, in the next, like, he, he kind of confesses something to me. And, like, one of the options is glass him. And I was like, glass him? And I was like, okay, well, that sounds cool. So I picked glass him and Bigby takes one of the mugs off the bar and just shoves it into his face. Right. And I was kind of like, it was funny because up until that moment, like I'd been totally like, you know, cool. With him. <laughs> like, so randomly I just shoved a like broken glass in his face. So and he like mm. fell, he keeled over and fell on the ground. He was like, God damn it, Pigby, that fucking hurt. Like, I don't know. But it, it's it's like you said, Derek, it's like the the. The situation has to end up a certain way, basically, no matter how you play it. So it's like kind of funny sometimes. It's funny. I was I was so pissed at the the guy next to him that was given a bunch of lip and everything. So it was like I was pretty nice to him, and I didn't use the glass him option. But I, I liked how when you asked me, you're all so. What did you do with the guy's arm? And I'm like, I ripped that motherfucking arm straight to fuck off. Because <laughs> there's this point where you you know you you basically are getting beat up in the bar and, and the other guy's trying to make a bolt for it, the one that you were nice to, and the the bartender who, who gave you attitude the whole time and, and this other guy on the stool who's giving you attitude. And it was like 
the reason why I got pissed was because I tried to be nice to them at first. I was like, hey, buddy, I'll buy you a drink. And he's like, fuck you, Big B, you're a fucking dickwad. And I went, oh, okay, I'm a dickwad, okay, I'm going to rip your fucking arm off. Because when it came to it, they're like, they're like, do you want to be nice after you kick his ass and turn into a werewolf and not rip his arm off and just be like, grr, or do you want to rip his arm off? And I'm like, you know what? So these people don't be dick cheeses to me anymore and don't hold out. I'm like, I'm ripping his arm off. That's what you get for not taking a drink from me. So I was like, your arm's fucking coming off, asshole. See, I, I, I decided to take the high road, and I walked away yeah. like a pussy. So <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know what? I, I'll let you keep your arm. Like, And I'm sure that'll come back to bite me when I have to like fight that guy in a future episode or something. He was like, he has two arms, you know? No, I'm sure I'm sure when that guy comes back, he'll be like, whoops, uh, the train knocked off my arm anyway. You know? Something like that. Uh, well, anyway, and the second thing I wanted to mention, which will also be like, you know, obviously by the time this airs, it won't be anymore. But um, this week has been as of this recording, this week has been the 20th anniversary of Conan O'Brien. And he's been like showing all like this past week, he's been showing like all clips from like all 20 years on his show. And he's making a ton of these like obscure clips and stuff that like, you know, probably NBC has like locked in their vault and whatever, like on his website and stuff like teamcoco.com. So like I've just been laughing my ass off this week because I've been like watching all these comedy bits that like haven't I haven't seen in years and years and years and so, you know, as you know, I'm a big Conan O'Brien fan. So this is this week I've I've been I've been reduced to tears like at some things like, you know, like um they had like Triumph, the insult comic dog, like when he went to go to the attack of the clones. Permit. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I love the when he goes to the guy with the really like elaborate Darth Vader costume and he was like, what, what, what are these buttons on your chest? And he was like, oh, these are my respirator buttons and stuff. And Triumph's like, and, and which button summons your mom to pick you up? <laughs> I, I, I like the one that's like, it's a clone trooper or a storm trooper and when he takes off his helmet he looks like colonel sanders <laughs> yeah that too was also good and when when he's like asking like he's he asks like the whole like line of people like in line he's like okay time for some trivia which substance was han solo frozen in and then like everyone yells carbonite he's like no no i'm sorry the correct answer is who gives a shit <laughs> <laughs> and then they have that guy dressed up as Spock. He walks by and flips everybody off, and they're like, "Boo!" <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's there's a ton of stuff like that that I've just been laughing my ass off. And I don't, the the one last thing I'll mention the, the 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 bit one of my favorite bits of all time is the one where Conan tries to make a boy band, and they're called Dudes of Plenty. And he's like, it's dudes with a Z, plenty with an I, and a uh with an A, because you can't do much with just an A. <laughs> I don't know, but he tries to make a boy band, and I don't know, it was it was hilarious. He's like, we're going to change all your names. Like, what's your name? And he was like, my name's like Johnny D. And he was like, I like it. It's cool. We're changing it for no reason. Your name is Lorraine now. <laughs> but... Yeah, but anyway, yeah, that that's that that stuff's pretty hilarious. So, yeah, cool, cool. Well, yeah, hopefully all that all those clips are still up by the time anybody hears this, and they can check that out and cry their eyes out laughing while they listen to Triumph and make fun of Star Wars fans. Look at this one! Oh my God! You 
look like some kind of super nerd. You know, that was built. It looks like you were built in a laboratory out of parts from a lesser nerd. You know, like he's a bionic nerd, if you will. Yes, I Obi wanna whack off right now. Until the next time, this is gonna be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Mike, class him. This is Justin Grimlock. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The fan holes know. <laughs> we do know. Next thing you know, they'll be telling us that Garfield and Odie are irrelevant because dogs <laughs> don't have thought balloons or something. Garfield yeah. doesn't have an iPhone. Well, I guess I guess if they they updated the shadow, like he has an app now that tells him who's evil and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> so I get, Quick, the get me app. my get me my evil heart lurking app. <laughs> so Larry, I like this the Garfield thing you got, but. When he sends Nermal to Abu Dhabi, how about he sends him through his iPhone? Then we can show the kids the new iPhone. I love it. Greenlight it. Oh wait, did anyone, anyway, nobody, did nobody eats nobody eats lasagna anymore. They all eat food chips. We gotta get rid of the lasagna. Nobody can relate to a. <laughs> no one can relate to lasagna. Nobody can re, nobody can relate to a, a talking cat that eats lasagna. Did anyone say peace? No one said peace. peace. Damn it, Brian. This is why we need you.